And so we're going to read through 2 Kings, chapter 5, just 19 verses. But um, <clears throat> I just loved hearing the testimonies from last week. How many of you were here last week? Most of you. Oh, good. I just loved hearing the gratitude and the testimonies. And in a sense, I want to piggyback that off a little bit. And this story really captured my attention when I recently read it, and I've gone over it a number of times. And so it's a very simple message I want to bring this morning, very simple, very simple. But it's something that I just feel I need to share. This was about 800 BC that this incident took place, and so let's read it. 2 Kings chapter 5. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the little girl from Israel had said. In other words, he went to the king. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. My, he's going to change a lot. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I'm sending you my sermon Naaman and to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill him bring back to life? What does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel for me. Because they were at war, but now they're in a peace, but they had fought against one another. When Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and his ten sets of clothes, not written there, but there anyway, and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. But are not Abner and Parfar, however you pronounce that, that name, the rivers of Damascus better than any of the rivers of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. 
The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept the thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he's leaning on my arm, and I bow down there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. We'll stop there. It's an amazing story. It really is. Just a little bit, a little bit about Jesus actually referred to this story. He referred to the story, you don't have to turn there, in Luke chapter 4, after he had been anointed with the Spirit from on high, when he, the Bible says that when he spoke this, everybody fastened their attention on Jesus. They were awestruck by his words that were coming out of him. And then someone in the crowd said, but isn't this just the son of Joseph? And then Jesus said a few things and then quoted this very story. And there's a whole message in that concerning the anointing and how we can miss the anointing in people's lives. But I don't want to talk about that. But it's interesting he referred back to this. And he said this, And were there many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet? Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And he, but as I said, there's another message in that. But Jesus did refer. So the healing of this Naaman from leprosy is one of the most interesting and unusual stories in the Old Testament in the ministry of Elisha. Now, Elisha, we understand, asked for a double portion, a double anointing from Elijah. And there were certain conditions he had to meet, which he did meet. And then he got a double anointing. And I don't think it was double in quantity. I mean, in quality, it was double in quantity because he did exactly double the amount of miracles that Elisha did. Exactly. And very unusual miracles. Unbelievable miracles. An axe head falls in the river, on the, in the water. And then Elisha's calling, and he throws a stick in the water, and the axe head comes to the top. I mean, that didn't heal anybody. It didn't do anything. But it's a miracle that God performed, because the axe head had been borrowed from somebody else. And it's a very unusual miracles, very, very unusual miracles that came through the prophet Elisha. So that's just a little bit about it. But it's interesting, Elisha died of sickness that he struggled with. Twice, if you go read some of the um, um, biblical scholars, the sickness came upon him and he got healed. But right at the end of his life, you can go reading 2 Kings 13, this is the sickness that actually killed him. Yet, when they buried him, Sometime later, somebody fell on his bones, and that person was dead, came alive. Isn't that amazing? Just falling on the bones of a dead prophet, touching those bones because of the anointing still residing in the bones, and that person came alive. This was an unusual man. He really was an unusual, but he was just a man, called by the Lord, and he had to, anyway, you don't want to go down his, his story. So, but this man, Naaman, was a high-ranking military official in the army of the king of Aram. Now, Syria, as we know it. 
an enemy of Israel, but there was peace at the time. Remember, Naaman was not an Israelite. He was not an heir of the covenant that God had made with Israel. He could, not regard, he could be regarded as an enemy of Israel, which he was in a sense. And yet the Bible says that the Lord, that is the God of Israel, gave this man, Naaman, the victory over Israel. Go read it in the beginning. You'll see it in verse 2. Gave him victory. Let me just say, God is the God of the nations. God is the God of the nations. It's God that rises nations up and he brings other nations down. God is the God of nations, not the politicians. God is the God of the nations. He rules nations, and we see God was at work in a very surprising place, Aram. God of Israel was at work in the enemy territory. Naaman was a friend of the king, a man of standing. He was a wealthy man, but he had leprosy. So we see that his friendship with the king could not heal him. We see his social status could not heal him. His money could not heal him. None of that could heal him. So, because of the advice of a little Israelite girl, he goes to the king, and the king gives him a letter. And the letter from his king is to the king of Israel. And he takes it to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel is very, very furious because in the letter he forgot to mention the prophet. So the king expected, the king of Israel expected he had to do the healing. So that's why he tore his robes. Elisha heard about this, and I believe it's because the Lord spoke to him. It's not because he heard it through someone else. Because Elisha's the guy, if you read Elisha's story, every time a certain king wanted to do something, somebody would come and tell him, no, 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 they, the enemy already knows what's going to happen because Elisha was telling them way before what was happening. Elisha was the man, interestingly enough, that when his servant came to him and the enemy had, the, the king had sent some people to come and find Elisha because they wanted to take him and literally kill him because he knew the secrets. The Bible says he knew the secrets of the king that he spoke quietly in his own bedroom. He knew those secrets. And so he wanted to come and take him and arrest him. And his king, one morning, the servant one morning goes out and right around, all around the hills of his king's army and, and horses and chariots. And he comes back in to Elisha and he says, we're in trouble. We're in serious trouble. And Elisha's answer is, listen, folk, there's more of us than them. Probably the servant went one, two. When I went to school, that's one, two. And then he says, Lord, open his eyes. And all of a sudden, he sees the angels, thousands upon thousands and whatever. So this man really saw into the spirit realm. Anyway, so he takes the letter to the king of Israel. The king of Israel tears his clothes. Naaman also takes 750 pounds of gold. I did the maths. 150 pounds of silver, horses, and chariots. And then he comes to Elisha's door. He knocks on it, and Elisha just sends his servant. Elisha himself doesn't even go and see him. And of course, he read the story. He gets enraged about this because this is a man of standing, a man of high standing in the community with all the money, with all the pomp and all the ceremony. And so he gets enraged and he walks away. 
And then his servant comes to him and says, listen, if that guy had asked you to do something hard, you would have done it. He's asking you to do a simple thing. Just go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And I can imagine this Naaman going into the river, but he had to take all his clothes off. He had to take all his military stuff off. So he's taking everything off that he's put his identity in. And he climbs in the river first time and comes out. Nothing. Second time, nothing. <laughs> Third time, nothing. Think about it. Think about the mental gymnastics that is going on inside this man's head. Sixth time, nothing. Seventh time, and he's healed. And all of a sudden, that pride that was in his heart is gone. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God. Never the harshness. And this man is impacted by the miracle that he's just received in his body. And so he goes back to Elisha, very humble now. And he goes back in gratitude, immense gratitude, a different man. And he obviously wants to give him something for it, but he shows genuine gratitude, and genuine gratitude is shown, sorry, uh, showing genuine gratitude to God is a mark of a changed life, and you can see something really happened deep inside this man, not only was he healed outwardly, but something shifted inside, but for me, the whole story doesn't hinge around those two people, it hinges around a young Israelite girl. It hinges around a person that facilitated the healing of this great warrior. The young Israelite girl. She was taken captive. She was taken from her parents. And she was now serving Naaman's wife. The Bible says in verse 2, Now bands from Aram had come and taken capture a young girl from Israel. She served Naaman's wife. And she said, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. This young girl had a testimony deep inside of her and knowing in her heart that the God of Israel, through Elisha, could heal her master. She had this testimony inside of her. She had this knowing. Her circumstances didn't change that. She was taken captive. She could have been very bitter, but she was not bitter. It didn't dampen the testimony inside of her. She could have taken an offense against her mistress and her master, because in a sense, they were enemies. But she didn't take offense. Folk never allow offense to dampen the testimony in your heart. Offense will tie you into the past. You live where you're still dealing with the offense and everybody else has moved on, God has moved on, everything's moved on, and it like captures you in the past. And you live in that place and everybody's moved on and everything's moved on. But it didn't happen to this young Israelite girl. There was no offense in her. There was no bitterness in her. She had compassion on Naaman. She was just an Israelite young girl. And she had compassion 
over her master and his condition. She was submissive. She had developed a relationship with her mistress that reflected integrity and credibility. Because when she told the mistress, Naaman's wife, Naaman's wife, when he told Naaman, she's nameless. We don't know her name. She's just a young girl from Israel. She's a nameless peacemaker. Because what do peacemakers do? They reconcile people back to God to receive the peace of God. It's the greatest peacemaking we can do. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall become, be called sons of God. She was the least likely to be a person of influence. In those days, women had minimal significance, and she was a young girl as well. She is not the one is in the who's who's of society of the day. Her name does not appear in the society of the news. She had no reference. She had no pedigree. She is unsophisticated. Her name does not appear in the news of the day. She had no, as I said, no reference and no pedigree. But what she does have is a testimony to the grace and the power of God. She has a knowing deep inside her, as I said, that the God of Elijah can heal and save and change a life, a situation, and a circumstance. Your testimony, your testimony, your testimony, and my testimony can reach people and places we have no idea about. God, your testimony. Never allow circumstances and even things we might still struggle with to dilute, to dampen what is real in your heart. You have a testimony inside of you. That's why you sit here today. Don't allow bitterness, don't allow offense to distract and blunt your testimony. We don't need positions in society or references to allow your testimony to go forth when opportunity arises. And you never know who it will touch. You never know what lives will be impacted because of your testimony. And hence, even Clayton's story this morning, the prophetic word, two unassuming people that love the Lord have an impact on people of influence. We never know, folks. Guard your testimony. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Guard the good deposit that is in you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Guard what God's done inside you. Let it don't be diluted or taken or wasted from you. God has put it in you. You know it to be true. You know it. You know the realness of God. You know what He's done in your life. You know the healing He's brought to you. You know the release He's brought to you. You know the freedom is brought to your life. Don't let it be taken from you. You have a testimony. And God will begin to work in unknown areas and circumstances and regions and places that we have no clue about. Just like this young Israelite girl. For me, she's the hero. Because it was through her, if only, if only, my master 
you go and see the prophet in Samaria, he would get healed. She's the kingpin of the whole thing. We were recently in South Africa, Michelle and I. Good, we still got some time. Because we went there to see Michelle's dad, as many of you know, and he passed away. By the grace of God, we were there. We were able to see him, and we passed. he passed away when we were there. He passed away on a Friday, and on that Sunday, I had to preach two services in the morning, and Michelle actually preached in the evening. She did a wonderful job under the circumstances. She really did. But in the second service, there was a gentleman that came to that service that I had known. Let the water appear. No. (laughs) Thank you. There was a gentleman that uh, when we were living back in South Africa, we were actually part of this church, and he was part of the church. And he had come once for prayer. I can't remember the details. And we were privileged to pray for him, and God healed him of cancer. And God healed his wife of cancer. So he thought I walked on water. I needed that to, (laughs) you you don't understand what I mean by that. So when he heard that I was coming, he decided he had gone to another church by then because of location and all that too. But he's a man in his late 80s and uh, his wife has unfortunately since passed away. But he heard that we were coming into town, Michelle and I were coming to preach at the church. So he went to some people and he, he said this to them because I heard about it. He said, have you ever fallen down under the power? And they said, no. He said, come. Today's the day it's going to happen. But anyway, I'll just say. But I had no clue of this. I only found out about it afterwards. So in the second service after I preached, I went down and greeted him and prayed for him. And then one of the ladies he had brought said, can you pray for me, please? I said, sure, I'll pray for you. And as I put my hands on her, she started to, um, what is the right word? <clears throat> Eve, going like this, quite profusely. So I knew immediately, just because of experience, that it was a demonic issue. She told me she had cancer. And so I did what I just know to do in terms of what God has shown me to do. And I took authority over a spirit of infirmity and sickness and destruction. And she just heaved more and heaved more and heaved more and eventually fell on the ground. And then she was silent. So obviously I stood around to see that she's okay. And when she got up, I got waylaid by other people. And then, but I could see God had ministered to her. And then she came to Michelle's dad's memorial service, which was four days later. And this is what she said to Michelle. I asked Michelle to write it out so if I can find it. It's in these notes somewhere, yeah. This is what she said to Michelle. At my father's well, Michelle asked Michelle, at my father's funeral, which was on Thursday, I was talking to Kathy, that was her name. I asked her how she was doing. She said from the time she had prayer on Sunday, all she wanted to do was dance. We found out afterwards that she was actually bedridden with so much pain in her body that she used to spend hours and hours and hours daily in bed. I did not know that she had done ballroom dancing in her youth and she really loved dancing. But all she wanted to do was dance in praise to the Lord. She believed she was fully healed and could not stop sharing how well she felt. She had energy and felt completely well. 
The doctors had said she still needs to complete the treatment she was on until the next time, the next scan. She decided she would do that, but laughingly said, but I know I'm healed. Then a couple of weeks go by, and then I get a text from the guy that bought her. He sent it to the pastor of the church, and the pastor of the church got hold of me, and I said, please send me that, and this is what he wrote. He said, you may remember Kathy Chetty. She was with me at your church on the Sunday that Ken preached. You may remember after the message, Ken requested that I come up to the front for prayer. Kathy accompanied me. After praying for me, he prayed for Kathy as she had been riddled with cancer. Most of the insides have been removed. She only has half a colon. She manifested while being prayed for. She had scans at the end of last week. Today I took her to an oncologist. He said he can find no cancer whatsoever. I share that story to say, just like that young Israelite girl, that man that brought her was the key. It wasn't to do with me. It was him. A man of 83 who lives by himself, who has a testament in his heart of what God did in his life years and years and years before. And he said, you've got to come. You've got to come. It was a result of him. It's a result of this young Israelite girl that the healing took place. Don't lose your testimony, people. Don't lose your testimony. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Because you don't know what life will be changed when you get opportunity 